morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. perspective. Uh, Steve Williamson here. I've got a full house today. We've got a really interesting show. But first I need to mention that um, Democratic Perspective fundraiser is this Friday, May 20th, between 5 and 7 p.m. Um, appetizers, wine, beer, uh, no charge to go to it, of course. No ex- expectation that you actually have to make a donation. Um We'll be honoring Dick Searle and um, Klaus Van Stutterheim, two of our greatest supporters who uh, died uh, basically last year. Um, please let uh, please just come. It's in the um, it's in El Portal, and El Portal has this beautiful courtyard with grape leaves and grapes hanging down and. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful space, and I think you'll have a great time, and we'll be discussing a lot of uh, important issues. So join Karen McClellan and I this Friday, uh, May 20th, 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, now we are going to do a radio show today, right, Kathy? Yes, we're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm happy to be co-hosting with you today. Kathy Kinsella, and she's kind of put the show together, and and we're going to fit five more people in this room, if, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we're a little crowded, but it's it's a good group, so everybody's cozy. So I want to welcome our guests, uh, Holly Plug, Ellen Ferreira, and Peggy Chaikin. Each of you are well-known community leaders, and you work together crossing a lot of different issues and organizations. But today you're here because you all work together with some other team members putting together the march and rally that happened here in Sedona this past Saturday. So thank you for doing that and putting it together. I was there, and I saw a fantastic turnout. What's your estimate? How many people do you think were there? We're belie- we believe it, it was close to 300 people. Wow. Great. And this was in response to the leaked draft Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade, certainly galvanizing to get people out. What kind of uh, messages did you hear from people, Holly? What was going out on out there on the street? Well, people were really... Uh, Energized. I have to say my favorite part of the march, which wasn't really even the march part, was uh, 300 people standing on four corners of 89A and Coffee Pot Road. The lights were red on both sides of 89A, and every car that was waiting for the light to turn honked their horn and kept it honked until they were required to move. Normally, I don't like the sounds of horns honking, especially when people have their hands on their favorite sound. But it was incredible, absolutely incredible, and it said everything as far as I was. I was told a tremendous number of young women, particularly, had showed up for the march, much larger percentage than usual. You think that is correct? That yes, I think that is very correct. And this was one of over 450 marches that happened throughout the country. what do you think it's, you know, people, there's media coverage usually when people are marching on Washington, D.C. or on state capitals. But having these events in these, in these local towns and local communities is important. Peggy, what do you think? Why is it so important to have something on the local level? 
everything is local, really. It all starts here. It was really important in the area where I was on one corner where the younger people were communicating with the seasoned marchers. We were talking about showing your signs out to the cars and letting them read the message and making eye contact. And then also communicating with each other with your personal message that you had on the sign. It was really a community gathering. And that's really where change happens on the community level. Yeah, you brought out a lot of people there. And again, it did across a lot of spectrums we talked about that there were younger people income levels i mean this is an issue that touches everybody holly right oh it sure does and you know what there were several people there i spoke to who were not from sedona or arizona they were visitors oh and they said we we had to march today and so we looked up where uh the closest location was and we were delighted that it was right here in fact one woman said and it was walking distance from where i was staying so that was even better peggy also there were um men pushing babies in in baby carriages uh there were a few people in walkers or in wheelchairs there were lots of people who were just um so moved by the necessity of getting out and communicating our message that we are pro-choice. It, it's interesting because, again, it's a way for a local community to have a voice. Um, how are other ways that people could be speaking out on these issues? I mean, this is so important. It touches so many people, um, it, you know, young or old, whether you're of reproductive age or you've been doing this for 60 years, uh, it touches. It, it's a basic rights that are looking at being eroded. So how can people protect these rights? Ellen, what are your thoughts? People have to first recognize the problem and use their voice to speak out about what they're uh, feeling. There are so many ways they should do this. Um, letters to the editor is one way, but also social media. Take advantage of social media. That thing can be amplified and amplified and amplified, and that's a very good way to do that. Um, become active politically. That's what we need right now because voting is what it all boils down to turning out the vote and if people are outraged they have to express themselves and and channel that anger into votes right and um democratic senators on wednesday they failed to advance legislation to guarantee abortion rights nationwide so um again there's been fights for a democratic president democratic senate democratic congress yet here we are what steps can be taken to protect these rights? Holly, what do you think? That is a big question, uh, Kathy. <laughs> That's a huge question, but I, I, you know, it's, I'm one of those people who have been around for this fight for 60 years, and it's one thing to fight for rights. It's another thing to fight for the rights you already had. So before Roe versus Wade was decided, we didn't have these rights. Now we've had them for 50 years. And it's very difficult to think about not having these rights again effective maybe July 1st. And how do the midterm elections factor into this, do you think? Well, so you started, you talked about the Senate. You need to remove the filibuster. That's the beginning of it. You know, we had 49 Democratic senators vote in support of the Women's Protection Act. One Democratic senator, Senator Manchin, voted against it. Not a single Republican. Even the women 
and others who have said that they're pro-choice did not vote for this. Why do you think that is, Holly? Because the, we had Susan Collins and we had uh, Murkowski, and, and, uh, and they had been sort of pro-women's rights. I mean, they had a record, a, a decent sort of moderate record. Why did they not vote in favor of a very simple bill? Well, I think for two reasons. The purported reason was because it went too far, and I don't understand what that means exactly. Uh, but the second reason was the caucus. You know, the Republicans held tight in their caucus. And uh, maybe we could have peeled a, vo- a vote off. One vote w- would have been all that mattered had there not been a filibuster. And I, I find it very difficult that we have a senator here in Arizona who voted for the bill but won't vote for the carve-out of a filibuster and so what does that vote actually mean? It means nothing in well, reality. Let's talk about elections here in Arizona as well. Um, we've got a couple of races that are coming up that could really much affect not only this issue, but so many different issues. You've got an attorney race down in Maricopa County. Ellen, um, we've got a candidate running down there that I think is the only Democrat who has said that she wouldn't prosecute um, if people if this abortion law is overturned and Arizona is poised to enact that it would be illegal to aid in in abortion as well. Right, that's a critical position. Julie Gunnigal mm-hmm. is the candidate. She's a brilliant attorney and has worked on social issues for her entire career, and she would be a wonderful attorney in Phoenix. See, we're up here sitting here in Verde Valley, but Maricopa County, we're talking about Maricopa County, but because it's important, because there are no clinics up in this area. Here in, in Arizona, people who need to seek this access to health care, and let's make no mistake, that's what it is, access to health care, right? They have to seek that in other parts of the state. Maricopa County is where the clinics are, and Maricopa County is where prosecution would take place. But also on the state level, the Attorney General's race factors into this. Holly, right? Do we, is there somebody that we should be looking at regarding this? Yes. Uh, Chris Mays is the Democratic candidate for State Attorney General, and she is on the record as saying that were she to be elected, she would not prosecute a woman or a physician for uh, for abortion, you know, for providing procedures or health care. But, you know, it's interesting because we have a law on the books that's been on the books forever. And then we have a law that was just passed in the legislature this session. Which law would be the controlling law should Roe fail is an open question in my mind. So the the law that passed the session that was signed by the governor prevents abortion after 15 weeks. The law that's been on the books for eons is much more radical and would punish people who participated in in uh, providing the services. Chris Mays has been on the show a couple of times, folks. You can look at her podcast. Very impressive candidate for anything for a corporation commissioner or for anything else. Um, very articulate, very thoughtful. Yes, and we're having a fundraiser for her in Sedona on June 2nd. And if anybody is interested in that fundraiser, it will be from 5 to 7 p.m. You can go on the Democrats of the Red Rocks website and find out all the information. A great about place that. to find it out. Whatever is happening in Sedona is the Democrats of the Red Rocks uh, 
uh, website. We're always saying, directing people there. Um, and also Democrats at Red Rocks House. So I guess I have a show. I have a, yeah, they do. We really appreciate mm-hmm. it. They've done it for years and years. I guess someone like me is not as up on the issue. How can they suddenly undo 50 years of law? How can they undo all the arguments that were so effective during Roe versus Wade about privacy? How can they just suddenly turn on a dime and undo these rights that have been here for 50 years? I don't understand. I I saw, I've read much of Alito's description and our... It's based on historical stuff, guy who is condemning witches and, you know, so forth and so on. And I, his, his evidence seems very thin that, that there was a big issue of abortion in uh, early America or anywhere else, pretty much. So how could they do this? I, you, you want to say something? I don't enough. think they turned on a dime at all. This has been really in the works for a long time. And most of us knew that this was in the works for a long time, but... There's a certain level of complacency that, that sets in. Um, there, there are all levels of um, commitment on, uh, for this on the side that wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, some killed physicians. They harassed people going to clinics. They became very militant. They also... Um, Shot dug, doctors, right? Did the deep, you know, did the deep enforcement through their um, faith-based... Um, practices to get people to really um, vote for people that went for the for the anti uh, pro choice movement, and it it has a lot of history to it. And now with the Supreme Court um, just on the diving board, that take the dive, and that's that's what we have. One of the main, <coughs> excuse me, one of the main goals for Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell was to turn the judiciary conservative. And that they went after that like a laser focus. And they were very successful. Um, the stealing of the seat from Merrick Garland when he should have been placed on that Supreme Court was a pivotal time. And then the pushing through of Amy Comey Barrett when it was after the election is shameful and that's how we got to the point that we are. And these people are no longer an ind- independent judiciary. You no longer seem to represent the majority of the American population. Exactly. I mean, they're just, they're a conservative kind of in-ground group. There are the religious conservatives on the, consort, on the court, and there's the political conservatives on the court. Many of them are ex- very extreme. Uh, it's hard to pin down what Clarence Thomas is ideas are, but we can see what his wife's politics is like. Um, so we have this extremely conservative court now, politically and religiously, and we have the American people on the other side. If you if you feel that this court is not representative, I mean, what can you do? It, it, it seems like an established fact. We're, go ahead, Holly. You know, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind. First of all, when the the justices go through the process for nomination, they are they have to be uh, approved by the Senate. They were not honest. They were not honest when they were asked questions about mm-hmm. Roe versus Wade, and uh, they need to be held to that. 
as far as I'm concerned, you know, there's a doctrine called stare decisis, and it's been the, what the, all courts have looked to since the, our country be, was founded hundreds of years ago. And that is the, you know, it's Latin, right? But it means that decisions stay. Now this, so that there's consistency, so people can rely on a decision from the Supreme Court that it is the law of the land. Now we're about to change, I believe, this is the beginning. This is not the end. We're about to change many things. There was always a minority that didn't believe in a numer, you know, that rights had to be specifically called out in the Constitution. They couldn't be inferred. Now, unless you have rights that, according to Samuel Alito, that are there in black and white, you don't have them anymore. So that includes the right to privacy, which was Griswold versus Connecticut and allowed for contraception. The Oberfeld decision that allowed for marriage to to whoever you wanted to. These are in jeopardy. And the only way around that is to, because these new justices are young and and this is a a lifetime appointment. It's interesting though too because we're at a new place. The decision being leaked is a significant breach of all of the process and history of the Supreme Court. So there are no laws laws that are governing this, but yet it's never happened before. Once. It happened once before. Okay. Well, okay. But is this now going to be used in the future? Is this on when you have a hot-button issue that is facing the, our nation? Will, will breaches of conduct like this be used to try to see what the public opinion is? Is it a way that the Supreme Court is getting deeper involved in politics than ever before? Peggy, what do you think? I, I certainly think it, it is. And I, I think that um, there should be uh, a ruling, um, a decision, a law, whatever it is, for judges to needing to recuse themselves from cases where they have a record of having a set opinion, whether they lie about it in their in their um, interviews, if they've had this um or have someone in their family who is influencing them, they need to be recusing themselves from decisions, and they should be forced to do that so that they cannot, you know, go on and change a whole uh, way that we are living just because they have a political framework that they're working from. So now that we are where we are, and this has been leaked, and we're in a a new set of circumstances. We have a public reacting to something that came out in a way that hasn't before. What do you think that means for the opinion itself? Will it significantly change? Court has generally, over the years, over history, followed public opinion to some degree. But this is a, is this a litmus test? Is this is this trying to find out what do we, what do we think, Ellen? No, this this will not. I would be shocked if this had any any effect at all on the court's final decision. Okay. I wouldn't be. I think the more we protest, the better off we'll be. And if even if this if this doesn't change, this decision doesn't change, it will potentially affect the decisions that will be coming down the tube. I want to look at the polling and then you guys get back to this. And the polling that, that I saw was that only one in five people 
uh, American citizen say that um, uh, abortion should be legal in every case, all cases, and only one in ten say it should be uh, illegal without exceptions. So the American people seem much less divided than the kind of thing that we see on the court. The court's going to make a decision where the American people are divided and don't seem to have really extreme views. Um, they seem to seek exceptions in, in a, a abortion on both sides. Um, what? Why is the court, I guess, when I'm looking at this, is how is this going to affect the right of, of privacy, which I thought was important in the, in the Roe versus Wade decision. The right of a woman's privacy, I mean, particularly, is, seems particularly important thing. And how does that get, does that just get thrown out, uh, Holly, or, or what? It very well might. It very well might, because, as I said earlier, these are rights that are inferred. They are not in the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution that says one has a right to privacy. It's inferred. It's inferred from the 14th Amendment. It's inferred from other decisions. If we're standing these, deci- you know, these well-grounded legal concepts that we've lived with for hundreds of years, they're being turned on a dime. They're being undone, then everything is up for grabs. Everything. And and to, to go back to, to your earlier point, I think that we have a, a set of justices that have, have a, a, a religious fervor. And they are there to make that happen. They were put there to make that happen. And there's a radical idea which the president has not yet come around to, and that is to expand the court, just like what was done here in Arizona under our current governor. And what has happened since our court was expanded here, the conservatives have taken over, and you look at all the recent decisions from the Arizona Supreme Court, and that philosophy is now what we live with. So Governor Ducey did it. President uh, Biden could do it as well, with the help of Congress, of course. Which he won't get. Well, we have midterm elections, so we go back to that. We're going right back <laughs> and around. Back to voting. And people have to vote. And, and it goes to Ellen's point before, too. This has been a very pointed, focused um, strategy that uh, conservatives have had in placing people at lower level government positions, getting them validated, bringing them up through the ranks, running them for higher office, focusing on courts. And we're not just talking about the Supreme Court. People generally are aware of the Supreme Court and the makeup and what's been happening. But what they aren't understanding, I think, to some degree, is where do those nominees come from are other court systems that are federal appointments that have been co-opted. I mean, these federal appointments have just been so conservative really since 20, you know, since 2016 now. A lot of that um, conservative nature and religious fervor comes in the, it's, uh, it's lovely packaging around the essential issue of, of women having sexual freedom in their lives and the ability to decide what to do with their career choices, uh, their family planning choices, the way they can interact in society as a full human being. There is a, 
group that wants to have women have as many children as they can, white women in particular, there are groups that have uh, religious backing for this, and they do spend a lot of time grooming uh, their children, and I use that word grooming because the right uses the word grooming against the left in a different way, but this type of educational background and religious training that is given to get the younger people to get into office eventually to go and become part of that movement is is a real thing. And it has to do with a lot of um, the racial tension that we're feeling in our country. And we have to really recognize that as we're not going to isolate this particular thing from the underlying feeling that there is uh, that threat that some people feel. Threat and fear. Have we forgotten what it was like before Roe versus Wade, I'm old enough to remember my small town in Oklahoma and the abortionist who was just out of sight, the abortion, the young women and girls who would disappear for a year and then come back, who we all knew had gotten pregnant and so forth and so on. Do people not care about that total mess, the sterilizations, the, the, the deaths, the chaos, the dishonesty that not, the not having a Roe versus Wade decision created? Well, we have a, a generation of women right now of reproductive age that access to abortion and health care has been with them for their entire lives. This is, this is new to them, the concept that this is going to be taken away. This is going to have a special impact on low-income women, young women, women in rural areas. Are there efforts underway that could help these women find access to the help that they need? Well, um, at the rally and on social media and in a lot of uh, different platforms, there is information on how to support uh, through donations and through actions, um, people who are less fortunate than us, people who are on the front lines of having to and needing to um, access reproductive uh, health remedies for the situation that they're in. So um, Act Blue, for example, is one that can be donated to, which would um, put money towards Planned Parenthood and other groups that help these People with transportation, with um, uh, counseling services to help them achieve what they want to do with their reproductive rights. So we at the at our rally in March had uh, handed out a flyer with that information for um, people who participated, and I think that would be available from um, Democrats of the Red Rocks, perhaps, on their website. Ellen. Let's all remember that as of today, abortion is still legal. Mm-hmm. So. Anybody that's facing these issues now, it's still status quo. Um, You make a good point that there are generations of women that never had to be deprived of the rights to their own medical care. And this is going to come like a slap upside the head to a lot of people who have not, not been focused on that. One of the things that we have to remember as community organizers and activists If you look at the the average age in Sedona of the movers and shakers in the organization and Democrats of the Red Rocks and and many, many of these groups, 
Um, they're people of a certain age. None of us are going to ever need an abortion. There are rights that, there are things that will affect people in upcoming generations. Climate change, I mean, the rights to privacy, the medical, the voting rights, which are huge, um, in addition to medical privacy. Those will affect people in upcoming generations. And what I'm hoping that we saw in this rally by the turnout of young people is that they will come to us and let us mentor them. Because, as Holly said at the rally, we're tired. We've been doing this for 50 years. We're tired. We're, we're exhausted. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop. We're not walking away from the issue. But we want to welcome young people, people of color, lots of people into our you know, uh, organizations so that we can show them what we're doing and pass the baton, hopefully, because they're the ones that are going to be more directly affected than any of us sitting at this table. They'll be affected, yes, by this directly, absolutely, but also there are so many other people who will be impacted because this is a slippery slope, as Holly said before. Right. And again, I do want to thank, again, Ellen Ferreira, Peggy Jake, and Holly Plue for being here today and being so eloquent on these on this, these issues. But it affects so much more. We're looking at the erosion of all different rights. We're talk, looking at the erosion of same-sex marriage, potentially. We're looking at the erosion of voting rights. Again, all of these inferred things. It's going to affect so many people. People think they didn't see this coming. But as Peggy pointed out before, we saw it coming. Um, but it's how do you get people to understand that and how do you get people to be activated? As Ellen said, we need people to be involved. How can we reach these people? How can we make younger women? How can we make rural women who are good, whose lives are going to be so much harder because they already had challenges in accessing services that they needed, which is only going to get more difficult? People of low income, how do we, how do we tell people that they need to be involved and where can we point them to? Somebody needs to answer. <laughs> well, I just want to give a plug for this radio show, for one thing, and for the fundraiser that's coming up next Friday. And I, I really do sincerely believe that um, this type of uh, conversation uh, needs to get out. Uh, I uh, had lived in the more of the Verde Valley area, and I know there are a lot of people that live down there that listen to this when they're preparing for their work and then driving to work. And it's important to each of us to become active in talking neighbor to neighbor about what these things mean to each other in their lives. It might not affect us as older women, but it'll affect our daughters, our granddaughters, our grandsons, and friends that we have on the, on the slippery slope, as, as uh, Holly mentioned, as Kathy mentioned. Holly, did you want to add something? Yes. I was just checking the date to make sure I had the right date. But there is a Rural Action Summit that's being held in Prescott on June 11th at the Mile High Middle School in Prescott. And that Rural Summit is exactly what Kathy was referring to before. It's a call to action and it's going to be training for organizers, activists, volunteers, and uh, precinct committee folks for direct voter contact, how to talk to voters about these issues. Uh, so anybody who is interested can uh, 
again, go to the DOOR website and get more information, or the Yavapai County Democratic Party, who is actually hosting this event. And is, again, a sponsor of this radio show. Yeah, very much so. We very much appreciate the Yavapai uh, Party support, particularly because a lot of the party is on the other side of the mountain, and our signal over there is pretty weak. I mean, you can get it, but you have to really sort of look for it. Was anyone can sh- get a recording. Yes. Was anyone shocked at the tone of, uh, of Alito's um, work? I mean, to me, it seemed, he seems so unjudicial. I mean, my idea of a judge is balancing things. And here we have this sort of extreme rhetoric and this very selective history of what happened. And, I mean, I know how conservative he is, but actually seeing what he wrote, which I have not looked at before, was at least a surprise to me. Well, uh, if you'd read, and uh, and I don't know that you would have, but if you'd read his his dissents, it it wouldn't be shocking yeah, at all. And yeah. his dissent in Oberfell, which was a gay marriage uh, decision, is exactly this decision. Only this time, he's in the majority. Well, and Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts has launched an investigation now into the leak, um, and has come out with a statement saying that the, the draft does not represent the final position of any of the court members. However, as we said before, we don't think that's going to change content much. Um, we just think that it might change some process because it is an important, significant leap from uh, the way the court has conducted itself in the past. You know, the Washington Post broke this story, yeah. and they seem to have some inside uh, insider. Uh, they so they broke the story, and they had the and they published the leak, but then they followed it up a few days later and they said that according to their insider not one single justice had changed their opinion post leak so whether it gets softened a little bit around the edges i think it's going to be pretty much what it is they've been eroding people's rights for a while they uh limiting the voting rights act for example is just a, a precursor of the whole uh uh, corporations or people, all these decisions are kind of eroding people's rights. And I guess we have seen it coming. It's still sort of a shock to see it. And I, I know what an extremist Alito is, but um, he's now the super extremist, I guess, on the court. Well, I don't know. Justice Thomas. I don't know if there's if his brain is even working. But um, wow. So. Uh, I think Alito is the extremist, as you said, but I think that, you know, Thomas is just as extreme, but just doesn't have a way to articulate yeah. it the way Alito does. And the new court, the new members of the court are equally on there. I just, the, the erosion of, of rights is finally coming, coming, the chickens are finally whatever. Coming home to rules. Yeah, exactly. We've have, we can, we have watched the court erode rights of different kinds for a while. And now we have them making the real step of un- overturning eight, 40, uh, 50 years of legislation. So what it's, do you a, think? I mean, well, 50 years of legislation, that it sounds so significant, such a big number, but at the same time it's also a blip because it took 100 years for women to get the right to vote, 100 years of activism for that to happen. So and we're used to the long haul, right? And a constant has been... You know, people coming together and expressing themselves. That's why the forum that Holly just mentioned on June 11th is so important because people do come together and express their outrage through marches, through rallies, through activism. It's getting them to the point, as we discussed previously, um, 
we saw this coming, but until people are actually hit with things, it's very hard to get them to understand how it will impact. And Ellen, I see you want to jump in. Well, yeah. I mean, this directly affects half the population, and there are issues that don't. So gay marriage, for example, it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to that rally because I'm not gay, so why should I? Or voting rights, well, I have my ID, so why should I go to a voting rights rally? It's too easy for people to turn the other way when it doesn't affect them directly. It's going to affect many, many people economically. It's going to affect our whole country in that way. We do not have the safety net. As much as Comey Barrett can say, okay, do your nine and drop it, as they said on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago, just have your baby and drop it someplace and somebody else will take care of it. That's not the reality of our society in terms of being uh, pro-life after birth. We're not really nurturing our population. We're not nurturing the children, and we're not nurturing the parents either. You might find that in some close religious sects in our country, but for the most part, many people fall out of that realm and are really faced with poverty when they have more children than they would want or can't afford, and they you lose the second wage earner in your family when the woman has to stay home for non-wage work in child care at home. So this has repercussions that have not really been thought out by people who have followed this very narrow black and white vision of life where it's an extreme vision. They're not seeing the nuances of the repercussions of what is going to follow from this. The, the things that the the one woman that I've been arguing with on our website, um, the extreme nature of the um, anti-abortion movement, life begins at conception. Um, you know, I've tried talking to her because she's not nearly as abusive as all the rest of our visitors who who, who ask us to die. Uh, but. It, the more you, if you try to talk to her, then she just doesn't want to talk anymore, right? They they, they have this built-in intense belief, and when you try to discuss anything, and you're not, you know, then they just fade. Um, so I I don't know. I hope you I hope you guys can reach uh, people, and I hope that, that this helps. Well, we said um, this before. I think that um, choice. And people making the link and understanding that choice in terms of reproductive rights and choice and privacy in terms of marriage and voting rights and a whole host of issues. I think that this is sort of the galvanizing issue because people are making that that link. Um, we were chatting a little bit before the show started about people that we know that tend to be a little bit more conservative on some of the social issues and how they were expressing gratitude that there was a, a public showing uh, on this issue here in Sedona this past weekend. Um, we all know people in our lives that tend to be a little bit more conservative. It's finding those issues on which they can identify and then connecting the dots. Peggy? I just want to share this definition of pro-choice um, that I think can help people reorient their view towards um, and get more nuance out of this movement. Um, Pro-choice is an adjective. It's the radical notion that women are people 
and can make their own decisions about their bodies. I followed a bit uh, the green power movement in Argentina and how those young people overcame uh, decades and decades, hundreds of years of pretty much religious indoctrination to come to the conclusion that abortion was health care and that women should have a say over the health of their bodies and their lives. And I think that that could be instructive for us. Look at the green power movement in Argentina, please. Kathy, uh, you want to start summing up? We've got four minutes left, and I, I want you guys to be able to get uh, um, the last yeah. word in here. Well, I think but again, we don't have much time. No, again, I just really want to thank our guests, Holly Plug, Ellen Ferrer, and Peggy Chaikin, um, who were part of the organizing team for this week's this weekend's past march. Uh, Things change rapidly here in the U.S. They have been now for many, for several years. A constant, though, again, is people coming together and in these ways, and you guys provided that forum on the local level. It's so important to have a local outreach for that. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, we want to, you know, make sure that people, again, know how they can be active. There were a couple events coming up. Let's reiterate those. We've got the forum on June 11th. Can you tell us about that again quickly? The Rural Action Summit at Middle High School in Prescott. You need to sign up in advance. Is not does not cost anything, but they need to know what the attendance and is. And find that information where? And what is As your contact? Yavapai County, uh, Yavapai Democratic County website. Okay. And what is your contact information if somebody wants to contact you folks? San. Yeah, Sedona Action Network. Sedona Action Network is a, is a group of the progressive-leaning organizations in Sedona, about 15 organizations or so that have come together um, under an umbrella to have a way to get the information and, and farm it out to the right group. Uh, Ellen is one of the leaders of that organization, along with Toby Friedman, who was unable to join us today, but to whom we give lots of gratitude for her wonderful organizing skills for the march. Thank you, Toby. We know you're listening. <laughs> Toby did a great job. Yeah. And Toby there were has refused to be on this radio show for the Toby's, last 10 years. Toby says she's shy, but we're going to draw her out yeah. at some point. But there um, were a couple of other events that were coming up, the Chris Mays fundraiser. Who wants to talk about that? Yeah, the Chris Mays fundraiser is June 2nd. This really is a critically important uh, race. And, uh, and Chris Mays is an excellent candidate. And I really urge people to support her financially if they can. And that is June 2nd from 5 to 7 p.m. Check the DOOR website for more information. And the Sedona Action Network, how do people reach you? What is the... It's, a, it's at Gmail. It's Sedona Action Sedona Network Action at gmail.com. Gmail See, Toby, if you were here, we would know that instantly. <laughs> um, let me just also mention League of Women Voters because we, people need to educate themselves. Um, and the door breakfast every third Thursday of every month door at 10 a.m. holds a breakfast this month. We're talking to candidates that are not in our district, but are in flippable districts. In other words, if we support them, maybe we could turn the Arizona state legislature around. So the door uh Again, on the door website, you'll learn about the breakfast. So I want to thank everybody for being with us. We're out of time. Uh, Tom is waving one finger in the air, and that means that we've got one minute left. And I just wanted to first thank you all for being with us. I mean, I think it's been a really interesting show, at least for me. Come to the um, Democratic Perspective fundraiser. 
this Friday between 5 and 7 at the beautiful El Portal Hotel out in the courtyard, uh, drinks, appetizers. It's usually pretty darn interesting. And we'll gather, and I think we'll have a serious talk. We will be remembering two of our uh, uh, most important and, and generous supporters uh, because we do actually miss them. Right. Um, Again, if visionary radio is important to you, and if you see a decline in free media, support this show. Please come to the fundraiser. Thank you for being with us, folks. Tune Thank in next week. Thank you for having us. Thank you Thanks. so much. Oh, it's great. You guys are wonderful. <laughs> We're all- You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.